Anne was the daughter of immigrant parents in the early 1900s. Her parents from Russia arrived in Canada and decided that they would be full-time farmers and part-time pastors. So Anne's day was full of working the farm with her mom and her dad throughout the week, and some evenings and every weekend was spent at church. Growing up in a family with seven siblings, she quickly learned the value of hard work of what it meant to impact the community, to share the good news of Jesus, and certainly to make enough money to make ends meet on the family farm. When she graduated from high school, Anne decided that she would go to school herself, that she would become a teacher in a neighboring town, and that she would continue to impact the next generation and take some of her teacher's salary and send it back home to the family farm. Eventually, she met another man who was a son of Russian immigrants. They decided to get married, to start a family, and to have a farm of their own. But that wasn't available in Ontario, so they had to travel to the other side of the country. And upon arriving in Alberta, they decided that they would set up shop right here, that they would have a family of their own and work hard to make ends meet. Having five kids of her own and quickly realized that as busy as my family is, as busy as the kids are, I need to help my husband launch this farm. And so she was outside working regularly, helping planting crops, helping plant a garden, helping feed the pigs and milk the cows. And that was the day job. On some evenings and on every weekend, Anne would take her teaching gift and go to the local church where she would teach adults that she would oversee the Christian education and work with students midweek about becoming followers of Jesus. Anne's family re uh, remembers uh, their spunky mom and what it means for them to grow up with not too strict but not too much fun and be on the straight and narrow. Anne was well-loved in her church family, a little bit spunky. Um, back in the uh, 1950s, 60s, 70s, the church was men on one side, women on the other. Anne, arriving from Ontario, thought, this is ridiculous, it shouldn't be that way, and she gathered together with a couple other women, and one day they all decided to break the mold. She was loved for that. I think there was a little bit of perturbedness for that as well. If you're fans of Bob Layton, you might be thinking, and now the rest of the story. The reality is Anne isn't famous. Anne is my grandma, and she loves God in the simplicity of her life. She raised five kids. They married five believing spouses. She has 14 grandkids, 21 great-grandchildren, almost all of whom are regularly involved in church. And I think it's easy for us to look at these incredibly famous people or these people who have accomplished much and go, that's amazing. Elon Musk sends four astronauts up into um, the stratosphere. That's incredible work. Isn't it amazing when people um, complete and receive a Nobel Peace Prize? Or we look at our favorite athlete and go, how can they have such an incredible impact? But for most of us, that's simply not reality. Reality is coming to Canada Reality is getting an education, maybe getting married, impacting your community, and seeing lives changed. Greg Ogden has written extensively on how to make disciples, and he has a really fascinating quote about Jesus. He writes, Jesus had enough vision to think small. Think about that for a moment. Jesus had enough vision to think small. Jesus could have walked into Jerusalem, started a synagogue with a few faithful followers, and through incredible teaching, through miracles, through casting out demons, that synagogue would have quickly become one of the biggest in Jerusalem. But that's not how his ministry started. His ministry started 
out in the desert, fasting for 40 days, asking God to prepare him for ministry. Then he went into the rural setting. He found 12 faithful followers of, um, who were willing to be with him, to work with him, to listen to him, to watch him teach. And he began an itinerant speaking ministry among the rural towns before finally arriving in Jerusalem, spending a week there and dying on a cross for our sins. Some of us in this room have this great dream. You think about getting married and having beautiful children and having a regular family dinner. You think of starting your own small business and the marketing plans and the ideas that you have that go along with that. You think of seeing your entire organization come to faith and you think, I can't wait to work with Jesus to do these great and wonderful things. Others of us are a little more focused on the day-to-day. We're just thinking about going to work, getting the job done, putting food on the table, spending time with friends and family. And you wonder, what does faith look like during COVID? Whether you're a big picture thinker or whether you're a little bit more detailed during this sermon series of Leading Me, you might be asking yourself, well, what next? If you have your Bibles with you or your tablets, I invite you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Today we're wrapping up a six-week sermon series on Leading Me. Next week we start a brand new series for Advent called Can't Cancel Christmas. And over the last number of weeks we've been talking about what does it look like to lead me? What does it look like to work with God who's at work in us? When we talked about our view of God as a shepherd, we talked about how God uses under-shepherds and brings people into our life, friends, family members, mentors, pastors, teachers, neighbors, and the power of relationships and impacting us as we move forward. We talk about unhooking bungee cords that prevent us from reaching our full potential. Last week, we got incredibly practical and talked about what are the things we can do for health and general well-being. And now we ask, what's next? Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the very gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Take another look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. There is incredible gravity in this statement from hell to heaven, from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from wrath to glory, from death to life. God is rescuing us from death, bringing us to life, and it touches every aspect of who we are. God is leading us deeper and deeper into relationship with him. What's next? How do we increase that impact? Charles Fuller, a well-known evangelist from the early 1900s, writes a letter to his wife on the day 
of his uh, salvation. And this is what he writes to her. There has been a complete change in my life. Sunday, I went up to Los Angeles to hear Paul Rader preach. I have never heard such a sermon in all my life. My whole life and aims and ambitions have changed. I feel now that I want to serve God if he can use me instead of making the goal of life making money. The great artist Michelangelo was chipping away at a piece of stone, and someone came up to him and said, what exactly are you doing? And he looked at the questioner, and he said, I'm liberating an angel from bondage into freedom. For anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, there's a radical change that has been taken place. You've been given a new life. You've been liberated from stone. The very spirit of Christ is alive in you. How is this possible? Those incredible verses from Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. God didn't save us because there's something great in us. God saved us because there's something great in him. And it's so counterintuitive. What do you mean we're not saved by works? We get a paycheck because we work at it. We have friends, we have family members who love us because we work at it. We have love and respect because we work at it. What do you mean salvation is not gained by works? Imagine standing on a side of a cliff and seeing God in all his beauty and his majesty on the other side. And so you call over, God, how do I get over there? And God responds, be perfect. And you think, well, I'm a pretty good friend. But there was that time that I lied to make myself look better. I'm a really good worker. I show up on time, but sometimes I kind of fib on my reports so that my boss thinks I'm more effective at my job. I'm really good at driving. God doesn't care if I roll through stop signs or anything, does he? And you realize, there's, I, I'm not perfect. I can't do it. And so you call over and you say, God, I, I'm not perfect. I don't know how that's possible. I'm really good, but perfect, no. And God says, you know, there is one other opportunity. You can believe in my son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth on a rescue mission for you, who lived an absolutely perfect life. And there's nothing that you can do on your own, but if you believe in him, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And he lowers the drawbridge and allows you to cross. This is incredibly good news for us. And it's that last verse that I want to spend most of our attention in verse 10. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the word workmanship in the original language is the word poema, which is where we get the word poem. And while most of the translators use the word workmanship, a commentator by the name of F.F. F. Bruce said, what if we looked at it a little bit differently? We are not necessarily God's poem, but we're God's masterpiece. For you are God's work of art, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the works which he prepared in advance for you to do. As I was studying in my office this past week, I paused after reading that in a commentary. And I thought, God, I'm not sure there's a descriptor 
of being one of your followers that I like more. We look up into the sky and we see these beautiful stars and we go, that's beautiful. We drive along the highway and we see these rolling hills and we think those are such a beautiful landscape. We go to the mountains and we go on these incredible hikes and we see the gorgeousness around us and we go, that is beautiful. That is art. But God looks at you and says, but you are a perfect piece of art that God has created his masterpiece. You've been handcrafted by God himself to do the works that God prepared in advance for you to do. I know this can be a little confusing, but you might ask yourself, didn't you just say we're not saved by works? Absolutely. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to do good works. If you follow the reformers, they say salvation is by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. And one of my favorite, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. In leading me, we are at work with God who is at work in us. A God who says, I have great plans for you. I have prepared in advance for you to do incredible things, to lead your family to Christ, to show the goodness of God, to be an impactful person in the church, in the community, and in your family. God has works prepared for us. Maybe we won't launch astronauts into space. Maybe we won't start Apple or Amazon in our garage. And maybe we won't be the all-star on our favorite sports team. But like my grandma Anne, we can make incredible changes in the world around us. We can change our schools, our families, our communities, our workplace, our church. So I'm going to spend the next half of the message getting really practical. I'm not going to give you a dozen different ideas of what to do. I'm going to give you one idea, but I'm going to talk to four different groups if you want to talk to myself or one of our staff members, if you want to talk to your small group leader or a wise mentor, by all means, follow up and do so. But the first group of people I want to talk to is the students. I was born and raised in Edmonton. I've lived in two other provinces, but this is my home city. I graduated from high school over 20 years ago, and my closest friend in high school is still one of my closest friends today. We talk or text all the time. I graduated from college 15 years ago, and my two closest friends in college are my two closest friends today. And the one friend from high school, two friends from college, one friend from youth group, they were the people who stood with me on my wedding day eight years ago. Your friends that you have right now in high school, in junior high, in college, are going to last with you well beyond your school will. How do we increase our impact among our students? If you're in high school, if you're in college, if you're in junior high, I want you to take out your phone right now. And think about the three to five friends that you spend most of your time with. These are the people who, if you have a break, you hang out with them. These are the people over lunch that you spend time with. These are the people that you plan great activities on the weekends with. And write them down. And if those three to five friends of yours do not have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to start praying. Pray for them individually by name. Pray for yourself that you would have the boldness and courage to share the good news with them. And over the next couple of months, one by one, not all at the same time, but one by one, walk them down to the nearest coffee shop from school. Buy them a treat. And ask to hear their story. 
What's it like being you? What's it like at home? What do you dream about? What do you want to do after you graduate high school or graduate college? What's the challenges that you're going through right now? And talk to them about Jesus. Here's how Jesus has impacted my life, and here's how I think Jesus can impact your life. And if this grabs you and if you say, oh man, I want to do this. I don't know if I know exactly how to do it. Talk to Conrad, talk to Abby, talk to David, talk to your small group leader and say, I want to do this. I want to be a person of impact. What about the homemakers in the room? Wow, is life busy. A couple weeks ago, my wife went away on a girls' retreat weekend, and I was home with three kids, uh, six, five, and three, and I thought, this is more exhausting than going to work full-time. There's meal planning, there's grocery shopping, there's picking kids up from school, dropping them off at school, doing errands in between, there's bath time, there's everything that fills your day. You may not have that large block of time like students do. You have a couple minutes while you're sitting in your car waiting to pick a kid up. You got a couple minutes while waiting at a doctor's appointment. You have 15 minutes while your toddler says, Daddy, I can put my shoes on all by myself. In record-breaking time, sweetheart. What, if, what do you do in those times? Take out your phone, right? What if we make our phone work for us? Two of the moms on the cul-de-sac where I live have started a Facebook group um, just for our community. There's only about 25, 30 of us in it. But that small Facebook group is changing lives already. And if you're thinking, Dave, that's ridiculous, it's not. There's a bunch of rentals where I live and my neighbor was shoveling his snow while I was shoveling my snow this past week and he's about 20 years old and he said, Dave, this Facebook group is incredible. We encourage each other to put up Christmas lights. If somebody needs to borrow a ladder, they can borrow a ladder. Moms are exchanging things on that little site. It makes a difference. A young mom this past week told me, she said, one of the moms from our church called me completely out of the blue and she just asked me how I was doing. The whole conversation lasted about five minutes, but it impacted me that one mom would call me and just ask how my day was. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's a short text to a friend saying, hey, just thinking of you, hoping your day is going well. How can you make your phones work for you? From an incredibly busy stage of life to perhaps a little bit slower pace, how are the retirees doing in the room? What do you think are the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do? Maybe life has slowed down a little bit. Maybe you're not working full time, but God still has great plans. How can you use where you live? How can you use the education that you have, the relationships that you've built for great things? The day that I wrote this message, a friend of mine called, who I've talked to maybe once in the last six months, he's at least 25 years older than me. He doesn't attend our church, but he said to me, Dave, I was spending time with God this morning, and I just thought I'd pick up my phone, and I'd give you a call. He talked for 15 minutes, I think. I was incredibly grateful that he did that. Every Monday morning as I look at the week ahead, I text two of the seniors in our church and I say, hey, here's two or three ways that you can pray for me this week. 
It's not a one-sided text string. They often text back almost every week and encourage me and thank me for what is taking place here at the church. Our treasured seniors, how can you use your time and your relationships for the glory of God? Are there people in your condo unit? Are there people that you walk by in church? Are there people that come to your mind and you think, I just want to reach out to them? Maybe it's coffee, maybe it's a Zoom conversation, and you say, I'd love to just get to know you a little bit better. Don't offer to mentor them, don't do that, but you might get to know them just a little bit. And you might say, hey, what if we started meeting regularly? Whether it's a group of seniors in your condo, whether it's somebody that you see in the church, and you say, I want to build into that individual. How can God use me in a powerful way? And if this grabs you and you don't quite know how to start, by all means, reach out to me, talk to Pastor Rick, we'd love to work with you. One more group in our church, probably know through a process of elimination where I'm going with this, the workforce. I'll present a challenge shortly, but I want to take a minute to talk about what you're already doing. Time doesn't allow for a robust theology of work, but I hope to offer you a little bit of encouragement. What if you thought of it like this? What if you viewed your work as an expression of loving your neighbor? What if you viewed your work and everything you do as an expression of loving your neighbor? One of my summer jobs in college was cleaning carpets, and it was absolutely awful. I hated that job. During the heat of July and August, I would haul 100 to 150 uh, hose into a humid uh, apartment building with no air conditioning and steam clean in 30-degree heat. I have played sports my whole life, and I don't think I have ever sweated like I sweated that summer. I hated going to work. The next year, I went back. But something happened. I honestly don't remember what it was, but my mindset changed from year to year. The first year was all about making as much money as I possibly could so I could afford school. The second year was about serving others, and everything changed. I wasn't going to work just to clean carpets. I was going to work so that your house would look beautiful. I wasn't going to work just to make money and hopefully getting some overtime. I was going to work so that when you invited friends and family over, your place looked spotless. I love this quote from Timothy Keller. Our work further develops, maintains, or repairs the fabric of the world. In this way, we connect our work to God's work. Teachers, you aren't just going to school to teach a bunch of kids. You are cultivating minds preparing them for the work ahead. Nurses and doctors, you aren't just going to help someone get back to full health. You're, bringing God's, uh, you're bringing, helping restore bodies to the way God originally intended. Managers, you're doing so much more than just doing push, uh, paper pushing employee reviews. You are bringing God's rule and authority, systems and order into the workplace. Tradespeople, you're not just building a strip mall. You're creating an opportunity for small business owners and students to have a place to work. Farmers, you're not just harvesting crops and caring for livestock. You are literally putting food on the table for your neighbors. 
Our work is an extension of our worship. But I also want to give you a challenge. I think all of us want to work in a healthy environment. Nobody goes to work thinking, wow, I hope my boss reams me out in front of our coworkers today and absolutely belittles me. Nobody wants that. We want a place where we love going, where we enjoy our coworkers, where we feel like our work is making an impact. What if you think about your coworkers? If you're a small business owner, if you're an owner operator, think of one of your major clients or major suppliers. Who is one person that you can take out for a meal? One person where you can sit down with them over lunch, over supper, and just talk to them about life and get to hear their story. How many siblings do they have? Where were they born? What did they dream about as a kid? What did they do for fun? What kind of things do they think about? What's next in their journey at that particular place or at the future job? What do they dream about? And spend time with this coworker, this supplier, this client, and show them that you care. Why? Because we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do, and this will increase our impact. Now, you might be sitting here and thinking, Dave, that's all relational stuff, and and I, I feel like I can do that, but I want more. There's something more that I can do. What am I supposed to do with my life? What are things that I can do for ministry and serving and helping out the community? What are other things I can do? A big part of our impact is working with God finding out how God has wired you. For some of us, that might be a personality profile, that might be spiritual gift inventories. Here's an exercise that'll take five to 10 minutes. I've adapted this from Steve Brown's book, Leading Me, and I've shared it with our staff. It's been helpful in my own um, personal development. Make a tic-tac-toe board. So you're gonna have nine different areas on that map, and then ask three questions. Don't fill in the tic-tac-toe board yet, but ask three questions about yourself. What inspires me? Is it a building project? Do you love casting vision with your organization? Is it coffee with close friends? Do you love working in teams and collaborating and dreaming about things to come? Do you love writing curriculum? What encouragement do you receive from others? Do your students look at you and say, man, you're my favorite teacher. I just feel like the way you talk to us, the way you teach us, the way that you engage with us, you're so good at us. You know, I don't have a friend like you that listens as well as you do. I just feel like when I'm talking and I'm pouring out my heart, you are fully engaged with me. And I'm grateful for all the volunteering you do. I am so grateful that you work in our kids' ministry. And then what's life-giving? What restores your soul? Someone was talking to me just before the service started and they said, when's the last time you kicked a soccer ball? I think I've done it once in the last seven months. I love playing sports. Do you like working with your hands and building projects? Do you like developing systems? Do you like spending time with God? Do you like organizing events? Do you like travel and seeing new things? This is... This is not my tic-tac-toe board. I just threw some ideas down together. And then you get to see how God has wired you, how he wants to work with you. 
how he wants to use you and develop you so that you can impact the world. Back to Ephesians 2. We whip through that passage pretty quick. Verse 10. You are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do the works that he prepared in advance for you to do. Verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. But how is it all possible? The beginning of verse 4. But... God, who has brought us from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from wrath to glory, from death to life. This is the God who is at work in in each and every one of us who believe in him. This is the God who is leading us, and this is the God who wants to work with us so that we might increase our impact. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for so much. Thank you for our church. Thank you for what's happening right now in drawing us closer to you and to helping us understand the opportunities that present themselves to us. And God, if over the last eight months or so as we've been thinking, I don't know what my impact is, may a sermon series like this talking about our view of you, talking about relationships, talking about unhooking bungee cords, talking about health, and talking about impact. Help us to realize that you are not done working in us yet. But you are the one leading us. You are the one who is at work within us. So God, may we put behind us everything that entangles. May we keep our eyes focused on you the work that you have in store for us, that you might increase our impact and that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.